listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. For many people in northern climates, winter means snow. Now, if you've never experienced snow, this idea may hold a certain charm. The image of drifts of white, fluffy powder blanketing the landscape and giving everything a frosted, clean appearance. And in some years, this image even holds true. There are a few good snows, and the rest of the season is full of the calm and muffled quiet that only exists when the whole landscape is covered in uniform white. The problem, of course, with snow, like with anything, is when there's too much. When snow begins to pile up across doorways, to bury windowsills, to erase the fences and trees, and even cut off the roads we've all worked so hard to build and keep clear, there is a certain feeling that creeps in. I think it's another memory from our not-so-distant ancestors. A subtle dread of the idea of being at the mercy of a force of nature that looks... so benign. So soft. So quiet. Until, of course, the howling starts. This week, let's cozy up by the fireplace and meet three wolves from Inuit mythology that will make us all a little more grateful to be inside during the snowfall. Today, we'll mostly be staying within the Arctic Circle, with a primary focus on northern Canada, Alaska, and Greenland. Inuit mythology is, of course, a somewhat vague term, because all of the peoples encompassed under it have their own local mythologies as well. So when I say Inuit mythology, keep in mind that this is a vague term and may not reflect the beliefs of all Inuit peoples. In the Arctic Circle, The top land-based predators are the polar bear and the arctic wolf, a subspecies of grey wolf that lives in the arctic regions of North America and Greenland. So it's no surprise then that our first guest, the Amarok, is a mostly Greenland-based monster that doesn't need to pull any punches. It's a gigantic, pure white arctic wolf, and at first glance, its size is really the most distinctive feature about it. Aside from their bigness, the other thing that separates the Amarok from a traditional wolf is that the Amarok only hunts alone. Which, all things considered, is probably for the best for humanity, because the Amarok is one of those creatures that walks the fine line between benevolent and malignant. While the Amarok can be helpful to those that invoke it for its help at bettering themselves, especially in strength, It's also said that a favorite pastime of the Amarok is to stalk and devour hunters that venture out alone at night. Because of this hobby, in some legends, people capture or kill Amaroks to gain prestige. In one legend, a man mourning the death of a relative hears people saying that an Amarok is nearby. He and a companion go in search of the Amarok. They search and search, but instead of an adult Amarok, they stumble across some Amarok cubs. The mourner, annoyed at being denied the chance to gain prestige by killing an adult Amarok and blinded by his own sadness, kills all the cubs. The mourner's companion then realizes, oh wait, 
Where there are babies, there is probably an adult nearby, so the two retreat to hide in a cave. Looking out, they see the adult Amarok returning to her pups, carrying a reindeer in her mouth. But when the Amarok fails to find her children, she trots over to the nearby lake and starts dragging something out of the water. Bit by bit, she pulls a figure out of the lake until it's revealed that she's pulling something humanoid out of the water. And at that moment, the mourner collapses. The Amarok, from which nothing remains concealed, took the mourner's soul from his body. And that's the kind of creature you just don't want to mess with. In more recent news, the Amarok has been tied to a cryptid called the Wahila, a bear-like wolf creature that has been spotted in the Northwest Territories of Canada, in Michigan, and Alaska. The Wahila is also described as being white and larger than a normal wolf, and witnesses report only seeing one at a time. Some experts have speculated that the Wahila and the Amarok could be echoes of the prehistoric predators Amphicyanid, a family of bear-like carnivores of the Miocene and Oligocene, which hunted in small groups or alone. A dire wolf, the slightly larger wolf of the Pleistocene, or even a species of dog-like hyena called Chasmoporthetes, which crossed over into North America via the Bering Strait during the Pliocene-Pleistocene epoch. Because hyenas were not so secretly pretty much the most diverse carnivores in the world at one point. This is unrelated, but I felt it needed to be mentioned. Chasmoporthetes means he who saw the canyon, because it was the only one of its kind to cross the Bering Land Bridge. And when I learned that, it sent shivers down my spine. Sometimes scientists get the naming thing very right. Now, in my completely unprofessional opinion, I think the most likely candidate, if the Amarok and the Ohila are a remnant population of prehistoric carnivores, is the Amphicyanid. Chasmoporthetes was also known as the running hyena, and it was built to be fast and light, like the modern greyhound. Not very giant wolf-like. Similarly, contrary to what Game of Thrones would have us believe, the direwolf was not actually a giant wolf. Direwolves weighed on average 60 kilograms, or 132 pounds, to 68 kilograms, or 150 pounds. And while that is a lot of animal, it's actually about the same size as the modern grey wolf subspecies, the Yukon wolf and the northern timber wolf, or northwestern wolf. Direwolves also likely hunted in packs like their descendants, which would contradict accounts of the Amarok and the Wahila being purposefully solitary. So, that leaves the Amphicyanid. The Amphicyanid is the name of a family of bear-like canines that lived for about 44.4 million years, and may have migrated to North America during the Miocene period, or may have just been here all along depending on whose research you're reading. Many species in this family were solitary predators and obligate carnivores, so they needed to catch and eat whatever they could find, early human or not. Members of the Amphicyanid family also ranged in size from about 5 kilograms, or 11 pounds, to as large as 600 kilograms, or 1,320 pounds. So species at the larger end of the spectrum were, in fact, quite a bit larger than the average wolf. 
Our next monster, the Keelet, kind of looks like the unfortunate offspring of a Siberian husky and a Chinese crested. This creature is also called the Kikirin, and it's a semi-bald earth spirit that takes the form of a black dog with fur only on its feet generally. Although, sometimes they are also described as having fur on their ears, mouth, and the tip of their tails. The keelet is thought to be an evil spirit, and like the black dogs of England, seeing one is generally a harbinger of death and misfortune. Like its bigger, badder cousin, the Amarok, the keelet is said to stalk both humans and dogs that find themselves alone at night, and when the opportunity presents itself, to even eat the dead. Unlike the Amarok, though, the Keelet is not in the mythological creature biz for its memorability. Quite the opposite, as those who encounter it are said to suffer convulsions and amnesia. The Keelet's last trick is that its furry paws serve the purpose of masking its paw prints in the snow, to the point that if someone is following a trail of dog tracks and they suddenly disappear, it's thought that these are the tracks of a Keelet, who suddenly realized it was being followed. For all its fearsome reputation, though, the keelet is actually rather skittish, and is just as likely to run away from humans and dogs as it is to hunt them. In fact, one known method of scaring away a keelet is to shout its name at it. And while that may seem silly, when you get right down to it, I know a lot of humans who that trick would work on, too. Our last guest is a two-for-one shapeshifter, the Aklut. It's somewhat rare in global mythology to find a shapeshifter who doesn't have at least one humanoid form. But the Aklut is a happy exception. An orca spirit, the Aklut has maximized its hunting prowess on both land and sea by taking the form of a gigantic wolf or wolf-orca hybrid to hunt on land. And, because prey is scarce in the Arctic, you'll never guess what it's hunting on land. That's right, it's people which may not fall in line with some people's ideas about orcas. But you have to remember, an alternate name for the orca is the killer whale, which isn't a name they got by accident. The name killer whale is believed to actually be a mistranslation from their 18th century Spanish name, Asasina Balenas, which means whale killer, a name they got after whalers observed them hunting baleen whales in pods. And while the name orca is increasingly used to avoid the negative connotations of the word killer, the orca's full scientific name is Orcnus orca, and Orcnus means belonging to Orcus, a god of the underworld in Roman mythology. But if the connotations of both of these names make you uncomfortable, you could always call them by one of their many nicknames. Grampus, Blackfish, or Wolves of the Sea. A telltale sign that an aklet is nearby is finding a set of wolf tracks that lead to and from the ocean. Other than that, another sign would be an enormous black and white shape barreling towards you. But at that point, it's too late. Because of the aklet's relation to the ocean, dogs that walk to the ocean, or even walk into it, are considered to be evil or possible aklets themselves. So the next time you throw a stick into the waves and your lab goes in to get it, don't be surprised if instead of retrieving it, your dog just turns into a whale and swims away. After all, these things happen. And really, while the Aklet may seem an unlikely creature at first, if you go back into the evolutionary chain of the orca, you may be surprised to find a creature that doesn't look terribly unlike a dog. 
Pachycetus is a genus of amphibious carnivores that appeared around the Eocene period. They have four distinct legs and a long tail, and they were typically about the size of a wolf. Though they were more closely related to hoofed mammals, such as hippos, based on the wear found on the teeth of skulls found from this genus, it's thought that they ate small animals and fish. While we typically imagine canines like wolves hunting large prey, the reality is that many populations of wolves subsist off of small animals. Some populations even depend on fish, such as the well-documented fishing wolves that make use of the salmon spawning in Alaska and Canada. Likewise, orcas have been described as highly social, and while the hierarchy is a bit more complicated in an orca pod than a wolf pack, both predators rely on family groups for aid in both raising young and hunting. So. Maybe Wolf of the Sea isn't that far off. I should also mention that while all these creatures are portrayed as fearsome and evil in Inuit mythology, even what we know about both wolves and orcas, attacks on people by these monsters are actually very unlikely. Of the very few confirmed attacks on humans by wild orcas, none have been fatal, and almost all have been cases of probable misidentification of humans as seals. Likewise, attacks by healthy wolves on people have become increasingly rare, and while it does occasionally happen, from 2005 to 2010, only two people were killed by wolves in North America. If that still seems like a high number to you, according to the National Weather Service, a well-respected weather institute in the United States, over the last 30 years, the US has averaged around 30 annual fatalities via winter storm. So given the choice between wolves and the weather, I'll go with wolves every time. That's it this week for the Wolves of Winter. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your pack. Intro and outro music, as well as musical score, are done by Snowden musician Scott Effington. Dig out more of his music at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. I also wanted to mention that I found a legend that was too good not to share. So I'll be doing a bonus episode soon that will go up on our Patreon page for $3 and up supporters. If you like the episodes with stories in them, consider checking out my Patreon, because that's where I'll be sharing stories that were too long to put in the podcast. I also have Monsters Advocate buttons now, and you can find a link to those there too. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster.